everybody to The Drop at DFT. My name is Nancy Jundy. I'm the COO here at Digital Film Tree. And this is Rami Katrib, CEO of Digital Film Tree. Hi, Nancy. Years. Hi, Rami. 22 years in the making. And this is probably the first time we have ever really pushed something forward that felt maybe a little marketing-wise. And so I wanted to make our very first drop about why now and what you guys can expect from the drop going forward. Uh, but Rami, you are kind of the definition of the man, the myth, the legend, because even when I came back to DFT, fun fact, Rami and I have known each other for over a decade. I've had the high honor and privilege of working with him on and off in that time, but about two years ago, I got to come back full time, work side by side with you here at DFT. Yeah. And in that two years specifically, all the feedback that I've heard from my, my friends throughout our small community is Rami is so secretive. He's always got something <laughs> going on at Digital Film Tree. And we ask and we prod and we poke and like, don't you want to market it? Tell us about it. We'll do a blast about it. Like share. And the cool thing that I know about you that I've come to know and prize just as much as Rami is that Digital Film Tree is insanely innovative. And what most companies might put towards marketing, Rami, I don't even know if it was a conscious decision, you've put towards research and development, investing what, what could be kind of carnival barking or marketeering back into developing what we'll, we'll come to talk about has helped our industry to succeed in areas where it's generally kind of a little behind. Yeah. Did you know that that's what you were doing? Was that a conscious choice? I think it wasn't until we worked on bigger projects, like at the beginning, like Cold Mountain and Scrubs, where I realized that we were always behind on explaining what the hell we're doing. And also, it was impossible to keep up with what we were doing because it was just a lifestyle of pivots, right? It's not like we pivot explain, pivot, but what we do from the very beginning is essentially pivot mm -hmm. as a lifestyle. So if you try to create a narrative about it, it's obsolete on arrival. In fact, whatever we talk about right now is gonna be kind of semi-dated in a month, right? So that makes it really hard to keep up with the narrative of what you're doing, what we offer, what we're about, who we are. And that's why I like this format because Digital Film Tree started really as a documentary filmmaking company, right? The, the one thing I remember from the very beginning is not the technology or all the things that were discovered, but it was, hey, how do I tell my story scrappily, right? I don't have much money. And this is at a time when getting into an avid bay was like, like a religious experience, right? You need to go in there at night, uh, hopefully someone will mentor you. It was inaccessible, right? So that's how it started. So it feels, it feels authentic to just do our best to explain what we are doing, what we've done, and where we are now in this kind of conversational documentary way. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you start touching on that because one of my favorite things about our history is that it's varied. But depending on who you talk to, you, you kind of tailor that history to their experience. 
So I've heard you say that, you know, digital film tree started or was founded on color, that we will always have a passion and a love for that. And I'm very excited to introduce folks to Thomas Galleon, our CTO and senior colorist, because what we're doing in the world of color science is beyond next level and is not just the future, it's the present, and it will help carry others far into the future. But that's just one aspect of how you talk about digital film trace history. You also talk about us as having been founded on education because it's equally true that at a time like you're talking about, my own history was you know, working with renting avids and just to have watched that landscape change is crazy. But another fun fact about Rami and I, we were competitors like 15 years ago. Here I was literally on one side of town renting avids and space and working with editors. Um, and I just knew this Rami Katrib guy pushing Final Cut Pro, like, <laughs> oh. But you, you smelled it, what was happening in the waters and it was education forward. This is accessible. This levels the playing field. This gives more people an opportunity to be a part of telling stories. And I want to jump into that, but then the other, the last piece that you also say is that we were founded on a documentarian telling the narrative and sharing your story. Your voice is the most powerful thing that you have. Yeah. And so, you know, you also did the Marduk documentary, you did uh, the Mortal Kombat. And so all of those things, it's this beautiful fleshed out piece of history that we get to dive into, but education is the one that I always gravitate towards. There's a few things that have not changed much in the last 22 years since Digital Film Tree started. One of them is education. The other one is just working hard to explain certain complicated processes. If anything, it's a lot harder today to explain you know, high dynamic range, virtual production, cloud, networking, security, and the traditional post services and why we're different and how we do things. So to this day and from day one, the biggest challenge has been how do we socialize what we're doing? How do we drive adoption for what we know is well and good, right? And through it all, you might come up with the best approach to solve a problem, but the clients or the industry might not be ready for it. But there's something really honorable about putting it forward. You're never sure exactly how far out you are before adoption happens for any given thing, but at least you know that you were there. You know, and sometimes you'll have your ass handed to you because you <laughs> might propose something that ends up actually timing out. And that's when you go, okay, I'm gonna let that go. This felt good at first, but uh, there doesn't seem to be an inherent need, right? So it, it's a mixed bag, but it's amazing how many horses we have picked correctly. You know, that's like what I'm so proud of. I mean, I can throw a rock and there's something that's influential to our industry that we were pivotal in, in testing, applying, as they say, uh, taking all the hits, on the front end. Uh, First one through the wall is always the bloodiest. I mean, that again, it goes back to the lifestyle. Uh, I think it was sometime afterwards you realize we're just like this. We just grew up this way, right? It's not like we, we uh, seek out the path of least resistance uh, or the path of most resistance, right? It's just a lifestyle, it's something we can't undo. And it's essentially the, the common thread with everyone that's worked at 
digital film tree historically and especially today. You know, today we are more interdisciplinary than we ever have as a company. A lot of that has to do with our shorthand, right? How we harmonize human resources, the most important thing, technology, and then everything in between, right? Yeah. I think an important part there uh, and an exciting kind of intro and segue for folks to know about the drop and why, again, we're just not marketing forward. We are problem solvers. We have gratefully taken a badge of innovators. Uh, but what Rami just touched on about human resources, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on 2020, but it's a hard thing to navigate around because we all experienced it. We had a commonality, a shared experience in that regard. But our experience was so very different and we're so grateful for what happened in our little bubble. But we immediately doubled down on human resources. We, Rami and I, realized very quickly that we had to be the resources to our humans who were here. DFT, even if you look at our website, it is our people first. You're going to meet our head of VFX, Dylan Chizinski, who, like you said, are just, they naturally grew in these regards. We've had Dylan for almost 20 of the 22 yeah. years, right? Yeah. And so he was, I, I hate to throw the term around, but something of a prodigy he had natively begun understanding After Effects, and he is a beast. He is a hard guy to stand next to and try and outpace with After Effects. But then you have someone like Aaron White, who many of you watching or listening already know, love, and adore, who, fun fact, she started in like billing, but she is a uh, new title, Lord of the Dongles, in addition to Queen of Dailies. You'll meet her, who will help unpack what geodailies and geopost is. Um, as Rami mentioned earlier, traditional post, I personally struggle with that term because so much of what we're doing today will tomorrow be called traditional post. We're living in this time of revolution and evolution that just feels so fortunate that we do, like you said, get to be on the front, the precipice of it, and we have wonderful people in our corner who are willing to be the, the guinea pigs and the test subjects, uh, like Kip Kroger, who you'll meet, the supervising producer on a little show called Ted Lasso, um, and people who are exploring the incredible world of Cinecode, pre-visualization, which means story visualization, tech visualization, safety visualization, which that was a huge honor to be able to get people back to work and safely. Yeah. We touched everything from like photo shoot dressing so that people could actually continue taking photographs for catalogs. And we touched concerts. We had conversations with Broadway people, how to get them back to work safely. And then of course, our own television shows, which had already begun using this technology. Talk about how hard that is to convey the abilities of such a, a technology. Over four years ago, when, when we were working in earnest on um, software projects, you know, building collaboration applications, you, you know, at a time when the notion of public cloud was still novel, right? AWS, DRM, right? Uh, encryption using the internet to pass files around, much larger than, than we ever thought possible. Um, I befriended the uh, senior architect of Unity, 
who built out the cinematics in Unity. And the way I explain it to my friends is, this really registered with me when I realized that the people making the game engines, like Adam, were influenced by Hollywood. You're talking about Adam Myhill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he said when I was trying to improve upon games in the 90s that looked pixelated and looked kind of crude, I would look at Hollywood movies and TV shows. I would look at the way they light things. I would look at how they create drama, how they create action. And, and I started essentially lifting that inspiration and putting it into the game engines back in the 90s. And that's what brought about cinematics, right? So that's why games look the way they do now. And how, how interesting is it that the game engine has, has evolved into a tool that's coming right back at us, storytellers, traditional 2D storytellers. And, and by the way, we can talk about AI storytelling and all manner of innovation that's happening simultaneously. But we took more of a humble goal. How do we help the people we know the people we work with tell better stories. At you know, three years ago, it was well established that doing things like pre-visualization, tech visualization, supports big feature films, right? The Mandalorian, that's like a feature film that's a TV show. But yeah. things like Ready Player One, The Lion King. So we, we saw all the work happening on big feature film, but we saw this big gap with mainstream television, right? scripted and even unscripted TV that has, you know, modest budgets and really challenging schedules. Mm -hmm. So we said, how do we provide them the ability to plan something, right? Their whole shoots, the blocking, the camera, the environments, the sets, where it would work on TV. And that's been our experience for the last four years. So that's, that's kind of an important point that I want to put some like hard, cold, serious facts to. And uh, again, in later drops, you're going to meet Andrea Anacito Chavez, who is our lead producer and animator for Cinecode, uh, Dylan, Phil, and Jerry, who is an animator and a coder dedicated to Cinecode efforts, and Gregory Stein, who is also one of the producers uh, in, in one of his many hats, who is also our general counsel and product manager who many of you have known uh, from critique years even. With Cinecode specifically, story visualization, previs, let's use Lion King, because that was John Favreau. He had about three years, and I don't even remember what the budget just for previs was on that, but they had three yeah. years for the Lion King. Yeah. You take a show like Ted Lasso, which at season one, nobody knew what Ted Lasso was gonna be, but they were leveraging previs with turnaround times of, would you say it's it's gracious to say two to three weeks? Oh, yeah. I mean, our runways are really short. And it usually starts with the script being fashioned, mm -hmm. which is so cool, mm -hmm. right? Because it's partnering with the writer's room. That's right. Of so what's possible. At first, the ambition was, hey, you have a script. Let's help visualize it. And let's do it as quickly as possible with as much quality as possible. It quickly went right back to the writer's room because the writers started partaking in the sessions, which are, you know, usually led by directors, DPs, showrunners, right? What a tool it is for them. But then it started, you know, permeating the editors, the writers. On Umbrella Academy, we're touching over a dozen departments. 
it's truly collaborative. And you know, the new term is we're fixing it in previs. So whether the script is complete or in a state of completion, what happens is when you start to visualize your story with technical detail, like actors, blocking, camera position, camera lens, distances, walls, props, wardrobe, art direction. When you start adding all those elements and doing it quickly, everyone buys in because it's an environment or a story they're familiar with because they're about to go produce it. So what happens? They start to reassess what they thought was going to happen and it's non-destructive. No one gets in trouble, right? When you present someone an accurate environment, even before it's physically built in the real world, right? It resets a lot of assumptions and we have found that, that people really like that, right? Because they're able to kind of eliminate a lot of the time wasted when you rely on going to the physical place and planning everything out. That, that is just the most humble, beneficial thing that could have ever befallen production, right? So that's how we're approaching it, right? So we've been really sticky about listening to the needs of the department heads. But I think we're in a different league in terms of how we bring it all to life. And we don't have any preconceived notions about what visualization should be. Uh, a lot of our clients who had experienced virtual production were used to it being part of the big shots, right? So if they're farming out to a visual effects house, they want to pre-visit because there's a lot on the line. Well, we do that, but we do the whole story because we can. And we've gotten really adept and very efficient at bringing characters to life. Now they're metahumans, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're digital clones. Um, there are so many advancements happening today that is truly hard to keep up with. In fact, our team uh, has, as part of their critical time, a review and research of all the greatest innovations and advancements in this space. And it's happening at a faster clip than anything I've ever encountered in 22 years. This is not merely a color application releasing new features or an editorial. This is a physics phenomena that is available for different departments to take advantage of. Uh, I mean, think of wardrobe alone. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how smooth is the texture you in the virtual environment? You have talking about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you get a wardrobe person invested, mm -hmm. then you, you really partake in their excitement, especially if they're doing it for the first time, mm -hmm. right? So the excitement of that happening over and over every time we engage a project is insanely rewarding. Yeah. Well, this, this actually touches on two things that are very important to, to talk about in this opening episode of why the drop, why now, uh, because we can talk about these big, wonderful, fancy shows that we get to be a part of. You know, Cinecode touched, like you said, Ted Lasso, the Umbrella Academy, but also Dave and NCIS LA and Geopost similarly has touched all these different shows. You know, there's, we get to do dailies true camera to cloud in London with Ted Lasso, pushing that over the, the internet to come to us here in Los Angeles to process overnight for the editors and the assistant editors to wake up to. And all of this is exciting and wonderful and why many of you might want to tune into the drop. But 
Another more important piece here that it cannot be overlooked, something that you say all the time, we are about democratizing technology. The kids sitting in Piedmont, North Dakota, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Beirut, Lebanon, who wants to learn how to use a game engine, which in and of itself is as inaccessible as an Avid was 20 years ago. Yeah. And now these game engines, sure, you can, you can use a free platform, tinker around with it, but the density of education, the cost of it, something even like Nuke, all of these things that we, you know, I think to this day, you and I still see each other as kind of like kids who get to play with all this stuff and somehow our bodies age. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still the same. It's democratizing technology. And we have worked with as many novices as we have upper echelon dominant in their field professionals. Like I think of even found later hosen or ripple effect or any number of the test runs that we've done with Cinecode. We started with independent filmmakers. Before we worked on television, before we worked on film, we started with independence. I mean, th th that's what we did. So we, we helped train, we had education. We as a company have written over 10 books, you know, whether it's on Final Cut or After Effects or color correction on a desktop or file-based workflows. We did that early because it was really needed. There was a huge gap. I mean, we did it on behalf of companies like Apple, Canon, JVC, um, Sony, so many tech companies that were contributing to this digital innovation. But there was this huge gap of what the hell is it? Why is it important? How do I use it? But then we went from that to, to applying it. And we first applied it on indie films, you know, uh, not the least of which was Napoleon, Napoleon Dynamite. Dynamite. That's when there was still film. Mind you, this is right before high definition, you know, D5, HDCam SR. It was a film project. So we were using Final Cut to digitally edit the film, which then would be physically cut, which, is, which was really DFT's entree, merging the physical world with the file-based world, with the digital world. And it was in that experience where we did things like, and this is like, like 20 years ago. It's shocking that 20 years has, has gone by. But when Jeremy arrived, he was just another indie filmmaker with a story that, you know, you're like, I guess it sounds interesting, but you have no idea. You never know how these stories will percolate through society or even make the light of day, right? But you engage. In that project, Jeremy, who was producing it, he wanted to edit at home, right? In his apartment in Santa Monica. So that was one of the first examples where we created digital dailies on a DVD-ROM. So he would get his film dailies on this disc, right? And put it into a, a DVD-ROM DVD reader, <laughs> um, edit in Final Cut Pro, generate a cut list, and we were there to help create the cut list with Apple because there was no cut list, right? So then that piece of paper would be used by the negative cutter to confirm the digital edit, make a cut in the film, and do it securely with confidence with a system that just costs a few thousand dollars yeah. instead of a hundred thousand. So we've been doing digital dailies from the very beginning and it all started with scrappy filmmakers yep. that had to figure out how to do it, just like me. 
That's, that's how DFT started. I couldn't afford the tools of the day. I had to figure out how to do it. And that's what binds us to the new generation of filmmakers, which is a little different, right? Uh, I think today's indie filmmakers are more varied, right? They're creating for all manner of platforms that didn't even exist mm -hmm. back then. So now when you, when you uh, engage with someone, there's a certain moment to figure out where they're coming from and where they want to go because there's just a plethora of distribution platforms, right? So the world has changed, but the storyteller hasn't. Yeah. Right? It's still the same storyteller. He has a destination or a goal. She wants to try to get to that platform, but maybe this platform is an intermediate step. And we can compare notes because, you know, not just me, but everyone that works at D Digital Film Tree is a filmmaker. Almost well, every single person produces their own content, has mm -hmm. their own storytelling efforts. Which I, I think this is actually a really good and important segue because. Again, it takes us back to the human resources component. We, we want to be a resource to our own people, to the filmmakers that are out there. And that's who we have here at Digital Film Tree, that the average, the average length of employee here is somewhere between like seven and 10 years. Um, but on top of it, you touched on something really important. We, we put our hands up to make something work. And especially, again, talking about what we've just gone through as an industry, as a community, one of the biggest, most immediate, pivotal, critical things we put our hand up for immediately to say was, your unaired media needs to be secured at home. And again, part of why this feels so timely to have the drop is because we're not, we're not people who are gonna overpromise, underdeliver. under-deliver. We wanna make sure that you understand the actual brass tacks of how something is going to come to you and pivoting all of these people working on unaired media into the home was an immediate, how do we solve for this? You need proper infrastructure security, networking security here. And we had, I should better, I should more say Rami had long ago solved for the remote work life balance. This is a town where the 405 could take you 90 minutes to go eight miles. And so we were already deploying remote review stations in the field. Remote editorial was the first thing we knew we had to solve for. Those were the first people who were gonna be impacted. And so with our own uh, chief information security officer who is next level real life, uh, are we allowed to, to say that, to say those things? He's um, like, yeah, he's, he, uh, you know, f from, from DOD and military and really critical environments is where he's from. So we, we took advantage of those practices, those approaches that are the difference between life and death, which felt good to apply to storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not saving lives per se, but what we're working on is so mission critical. There's so much liability on every front. And man oh man has it been hard to get people excited about networking and security. Yeah. I mean, it's usually been um, the clients who appreciate the upside of working from home when they wanna work from home, go into the office when they wanna go into the office. 
but we've been doing that for years. Mm -hmm. So COVID kind of refocused the value of that um, because it's always been um, only for the people who can appreciate. It was a luxury. Yeah. Overnight, it became a necessity. Yeah. And there we were. It's, yeah. It's been bananas. Now it's more about this is how we can do it, right? What's your topography? How many home users are there? So everything that was applied in terms of security policies to our brick and mortar buildings, mm -hmm. right, is perfectly applicable at home, right? There's a little work that needs to be done. And of course, our staff was, were the first guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. Our staff already had the ability to work from home for years, right? Um, so being able to apply it at greater scale mm -hmm. to uh, clients that all of a sudden were at home um, has you know, been beyond rewarding and validating. Um, now we go through security audits every other week. We actually want to engage audits so we can yeah. <laughs> compare notes. We want the badge. We've done the work. We want the badge. And yeah, like you said, compare notes. The people, you know, leading these audits at Amazon, MGM, Lionsgate, Netflix, all of these different places where we have, um, I think it, it cannot be overlooked. We have put our hand up at every opportunity to not just be vetted and like, check us out, try us, pen test, let's do it. Yeah. But also to stand in the gap for those end users. Yeah. Because we did and we could, we could pivot our own people overnight. Um, and we'll have a whole nother drop on what it was like for us in the pandemic because it really was a wholly different experience than, than we saw with a lot of our peers and we'll be forever grateful. But that in and of itself is a whole other podcast. But we could. We pivoted about 85% of the staff to the home overnight. And then once we were all settled, which was less than a week, honestly, we pivoted to our peers, to the community. We were happy to be behind, be behind the curtain. We need people to get back to work. That was our number one goal. Get people back to work. Keep people working. If, if, this, if too many of these shows went dark, we knew it meant something much graver than what we were already facing. So that was that was something where now I think we have a thousand routers in the field. Yeah, and, and let me let me provide a 22 year arc to where we came from and where we are now, but succinctly. We were born on the cusp of physical, physical film becoming a digital file. It was natural for us to transition to servers that store that data. And it was natural for us to really get into the weeds of how it's moved around and all the efficiencies we could fill for, solve for. But after all this time, I mean, we've been talking about cloud for probably seven years, right? It's 2000. More than that, I came in at the advent of like Rackspace partnerships. That was before no, seven years, right? It was well before. We're talking Jesus. 12 to 15. Oh my God. Yeah. So we've been talking about cloud. Whoa, that went by quick. I've been to events where there would be boos and hisses with this notion of cloud, mm -hmm. right? When it was still more ambiguous. Um, but that's how we started. It was logical for us to be where we are right now. And where we are right now is essentially at the front row of what we would call cloud-based or remote-based. It's not so much about the particular tools, whether we built them or we apply industry-leading tools. 
It's about how we network and secure productions, right? How we do that for the studios, how we do it for individual productions and the vendor ecosystem and every stakeholder that would need secure access to critical data. Our industry has not yet, as of today, produced a remote and cloud framework for that, right? So all the certifications that are out there, whether it's TPN, MPAA, and others, are predicated on essentially brick and mortar buildings. How do you have this place locked down physically? Do you have camera systems, uh, door badge systems? Uh, how is your server room set up? So on and so forth. We have not even gotten to the point where we're having routine discussions about your distributed network, your edge compute locations, your cloud storage for public component and private component. We're not even there yet, but we as a company are well there. Yeah. We are really looking forward to playing a role in how we engage with the frameworks that will be adopted, right? With the industry leading societies and all the stakeholders that are paying a lot of attention and have a lot of sleepless nights thinking about this. But that is exciting because we are just about there. In the next couple of years, the industry is going to change profoundly because as soon as that framework starts to harden, right, then it's going to be routine for every single production to centralize their camera material in a cloud of some kind, right? That's within the industry approved framework with certifications from TPN or MPAA or whatever is the binding entity. We're just about there. But that was 22 years. You go back to the file and we're just about to really enter this new era. Mm -hmm. So when, when people talk about camera to cloud, a lot of it I think is essentially marketing. I think for us it's been an actual thing, right? We put ourselves in that experience of how do you get internet service to that location out there in New Orleans or in London or in Prague or in Fiji. There's no shortcut to that. It's hard work. Um, and, and that is just one of the most exciting things, even though most people are not all that in interested in it because, because it doesn't seem that meaningful. What we say is, if you centralize your data, right, and, and grant your stakeholders access to it, your production will be all the better for it, right? It'll be more secure. It'll be more efficient. There's no more physical back and forth of drives going over here and drives going over there. And that's a narrative we've been talking about for 12 years. And here we are. Yeah. Right? Well, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if you remember the day when we were prepping for the TPN audit and you said, well, Tim has to be on that call. And I was like, why? Because it literally did not occur to me that we were still in a space where we have to talk about securing the actual physical, it, it just, it blew my mind. Like, of course it makes sense yeah. and I get it. Um, and, and I'm talking about Tim Serta, who actually Rami co-founded Digital Film Tree with. He was one of the founding members of Digital Film Tree. And he has a very simple title for what is arguably one of the biggest jobs at Digital Film Tree, uh, because this building continues to be more and more like Jarvis. And Tim is the overseer of all of that and has 
has essentially built like a co-location mm-hmm. center yeah. in in one of the portions of DFT. But uh, it just it was so mind blowing to me that we're still more focused on badge swipes and locks on the door and the yeah. cameras, wherein. <clears throat> You know, uh, I've shared this story with you. My brother is a librarian, and so he actually oversees digital assets for the library and helps, you know, the new students and whatnot get logged in and things. And he said on average per day, they were getting about 500 malware attempts per day coming into the university. And then when the pandemic hit and everybody moved to the homes, he said almost overnight, we dropped down to like 13 attacks per day max because generally speaking, college kids aren't looking at their social security numbers, checking their credit. And so they're low hanging fruit so far as a hacker is concerned. But now you had big budget media working on unsecured networks on consumer grade Wi-Fi they, who had been high-dollar targets, now became low-hanging fruit. And so everyone at Digital Film Tree, from, from billing to VFX artists, everyone, you question the PDFs that are attached. You question the links that come through. Um, everyone has to be trained because nobody here can be a vulnerability in that regard. Yeah. And that comes from, uh, what is what does Ty call it? It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that harmonizes the creative effort, right? The creative lifestyle, editor, visual effects, colorist, um, graphical. You, you, we have to serve them, right? So it started with security being very muscular in, you know, in the early years. Um, but really, security is now a friend, right? It, it's... it's it's much easier today to have company meetings about the latest phishing scheme, right? Mm-hmm. The latest types of assaults that are happening, the latest patches and you know security precautions. It's now just more normal. It just took a little mm-hmm. time. And I think it's gonna take time for everyone just to get used to it. But the cool thing is over time, we figured out the balance where security is working hand in hand with the creative teams including administration. So administration is usually more on board for security. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with critical data, financial information, all kinds of things like that. But the creatives, they need to get done what is eminent. And anything that gets in the way is always challenging. So the idea that our security practices and policies listen to the creative people, and it's not like a a sledgehammer approach, right? You try to strike a balance with any particular workflow, whether it's visual effects or dailies or online or dealing with other vendors so that you have a very good networking and security policy in place, but it's really led by the workflow efficiencies that they mandate, right? Irregardless of the tools they use. So now that we're serving other vendors, you know, it's not just our post-production clients, we're serving other vendors now who didn't invest in this way, so we're essentially filling a gap for them. So we're just like almost like a layer on top of whatever, whatever their tool sets are, whatever their workflows are. So networking and security essentially is this is this thing that's not predicated on you having to do something in a particular way or use a particular tool. Rather, it's something that is, is making your, 
your file traffic and your security uh, needs much more accessible. Um, it, it's like it's like having the ability to be notified if there's a particular intrusion or malware that is on your home system so that you can get an alert like the bank sends you. Mm -hmm. Having our, our analysts be looking out for our clients and our vendors, essentially Digital Film Tree has quite organically become a security services and support mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. But because we're post people, we can speak your language, right? Uh, we can deal with production challenges because we understand it. We grew up that way. So, it, you know, it, it's, been, it's been quite the journey to balance networking and security with the creative effort. Well, let me ask you this, uh, kind of a, a pivot here, but what does it feel like after 22 years to feel like a startup again? Because it's such a new landscape and we've made so many pivots that it's, it's fresh, it's new, it's, it's on the cutting edge of so many forward pushes in so many different directions, but you have the benefit of history on your side. I mean, it's never been more exciting. Um, you know, I, I feel good about our 22 years in business. It actually, it, it's uplifting. Um, but it's more dynamic now than it was back then, right? Back then it was kind of a linear path to overcome the challenges of physical film production, mechanical film production. Now you have a, a complete pileup <laughs> of, of really cool technologies. Artificial intelligence applied to online and rudimentary color correction. Um, uh, high dynamic range and how we could address old libraries, right? Efficiently, economically. Um, blockchain is part of our, you know, research and development effort because of, you know, the smart contracts that will essentially eclipse how we contract with each other. Um, uh, machine learning, augmented reality, being able to have a film set, right? An actual accurate film set, whether it be a ship or a big building or even a cityscape on my phone. Mm -hmm. I can go into a desktop experience and really dig in and visualize or I can preview it on my phone. All of these things are happening at the same time, right? On top of that, you have the cloud, right? Which are essentially servers that are taking care of certain needs. Um, you know, we engage with people that have their own servers, mm -hmm. right? But they might not be up for storing all their data. So we can bridge them for whatever public cloud account they might have set up, right? So there is more going on now than there ever has happened before. It really feels like, like a Moore's Law dynamic, but it's so incomprehensible in terms of how fast moving it is, right? So in that sense, it feels amazing to be a startup. In fact, like Digital Film Tree is really an incubation for multiple startup efforts, and we've done that, right? We've spawned company efforts based on the pain points we've detected as a company. And more often than not, it didn't come from us. It didn't come from me. It came from the people we serve, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think we have a very keen ear for just the nastiest, most like, exquisite problems 
right? Because that's more interesting than something that's already solved. Mm -hmm. If someone if someone presents, um, and I guess this is also part of maturity, if someone presents a problem, I think our first instinct is, oh, I know something that, that, that will fix that, and just refer, and you feel good, and if they like it, thumbs up, right? But it's not that often where we run into a true gap, like we have not thought of that, then we go into research mode and we can't find anything. So then we, we have a discussion. We have a heart-to-heart -heart with our staff and with our clients if we're going to essentially solve that gap. Yeah. I think not to get too cheesy here, but uh, I think that's why Ted Lasso certainly resonates with me is be curious. Be curious. And you have spent uh, well over a decade uh, co-mingling with the ME310 program at Stanford and on my side, well over a decade, going to attending, speaking, hosting at South by Southwest, both are completely predicated on curiosity and solving for problems that are bigger than ourselves. And that is a true startup. The best startups solve the biggest problems. Well, I think this was a first, this was a really good first drop. It was fun. How do you feel about it? I mean, it feels good to just explain things as they are without any pretense. And, and you know, the thing, the thing that brought us back, uh, ironically, was Stanford. It was. Because Digital Film Tree has been involved with ME310, uh, Mechanical Engineering 310, started by Larry Leifer uh, for well over a decade. And when we decided to to do a project that has to do with imaging as it relates to radiologists um, and how we worked with the Stanford interdisciplinary team to co-mingle a 2D view with a 3D view, right, an MRI with an X-ray, is just a perfect example of how Digital Film Tree really grew up as an interdisciplinary company. Create a brain, tech brain, right, hanging out together. Uh, solving the biggest problems, but that was really inspired by Stanford and, and how they bring students, up-and-coming students from different disciplines, whether it's sociology, uh, computer science, engineering, right, law, filmmaking, and they, they, they put in front of them the biggest challenges that industry has to offer. Well, here we are. Uh, we're always solving the biggest challenges that our industry has to offer but we've been really fortunate to also, you know, dovetail into industries outside of Hollywood that also have a story to tell. Yeah. Whether it's a dentist, whether it's a radiologist, or whether it's an indie filmmaker or a popular TV show. Well, that speaks to what we were talking about the other day about a trauma center where you don't necessarily operate on the finger if it's the heart that's having the problem immediately. Um, and so that's one of the hugest benefits about working at DFT is that we have specialists here. We have surgeons who can jump right in, but to get that team in a room and to hear from and let others talk who can help best diagnose uh, a path forward is huge. And I think that's what we value most about the team here is that we have absolute experts in their field coming from various backgrounds that can contribute to a solve 
that will empower the person trying to get their voice out further to tell the story. Um, and with that, I'm really excited about what the drop is going to bring forward from those very people and how we're going to get to know you better through it as well. What challenges and pain points you might bring to Digital Film Tree and what we get to chew on next because 22 years has been an incredible journey. Uh, I've also heard so many wonderful things about pre-pandemic parties. So <laughs> 25th year celebration will be a hell of a good time. It's going to be epic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with that, we're excited to talk to you on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Digital Film Tree. And we're excited to bring you more from The Drop. Talk to you next time.